Welcome to Walk in the Truth Podcast. Have you ever looked back in time and considered how certain defining moments have shaped your life and future? Today, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, looks at the importance of defining moments and how we can recognize what God is saying through them. Well, we're so glad that you're with us this morning on this wonderful, hot June day. It's gonna be 106 degrees outside. But if you could say amen, we have air conditioners today, amen? So none of you should uh, be too sweltering today. And uh, please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're in our Defining Moments series, and this uh, series of messages is about defining moments of our lives. Defining moments where they may have been a brief period of time in which we realized something had happened to us or that we experienced something and then later on we realized the magnitude of those defining moments. Because what happened to us in those brief periods of time ended up changing, altering the course of our lives, which is why we call them defining moments. Last week I shared uh, of a defining moment uh, of silence, what I called the moment of silence. It was the moment that I lost my hearing actually as a young boy and uh, how God sustained me, how God encouraged me, how he built me up. I shared my life verse with you. This week we're talking about moments of faith. Now I'm gonna introduce to you the text that's probably gonna be one of the most complex texts you can ever spend time on. In fact, I'm actually gonna give you a homework assignment today, all right? Amen? A homework assignment. And so I can't possibly scratch to the depths of this text in the next 30 or 40 minutes, but I can introduce it to you and ask you to walk through it over the course of this next week. Let's stand together as I read 2 Peter chapter 1. And beginning in verse 1, 11 verses that will impact your life and show you moments of faith. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his prescience and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Verse 10 now, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, I'm taking a deep breath here because I know there's no way we can touch on every one of these incredible words or even the incredible phrases that are in this passage. But we're gonna hit some high points of this text 
And as I said, give you a homework assignment so you come back ready next week for a pop quiz, right? We'll be ready to have a quiz. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for this text, for the, the vulnerability, the transparency of the apostle Peter in writing out about his faith. And Father, today my prayer is that you will allow this text to be so personal to each one of us, every one of us, without exception, that we will look for our own moments of faith in Peter's description of his moments of faith. Father, today, open our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. So I want you to define these moments with me today and then find these defining moments in your life. There's no way that what I say today can get all of what this text says, and, and that's okay. But I can show you the mountain peaks of this text. I can show you the ebbs and flows of these moments of faith that become so important to all of us in the room. Today, I'm gonna define some things that help us know about our salvation. I'm gonna define some things that help us know what happens when we seem to wander or stray from them. I'm gonna define some things and clarify some things that help us know how to have confidence in our faith. All those things are so important to our day-to-day -day walk of faith in Jesus Christ. So let me give you three words today. And if you're writing these three words down, we're gonna come back and look at each of them individually, but the first word is conversion. We're gonna talk about what the scripture says about your conversion to Jesus Christ as a believer in him. Secondly, we're gonna look at the word contribution. Because when we get to that point of the text, you'll see that, that our faith is not to be left alone, it's to be contributed to, added to. Thirdly, we're going to look at the word confidence. Because ultimately, the doubt we have in our life is a lack of evidence of the current work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All doubt is a lack of evidence. And so it's important for us to have the evidence of our faith that will later on give us the confidence to weather whatever storms we have to weather in this life. So getting back to the first, conversion. Peter opens us up by talking about conversion people that move from being unbelievers to believers in Jesus Christ. And here's what he says in verse one. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now look at that line on the screen, if you would. I've highlighted a few words there. The first word is the word received. It's a key word. We have received faith in Jesus Christ. Peter said, secondly, he says the same kind as ours. We have the same unique faith today as Peter did in that day and time as he writes to other believers later on in the timeline. And then by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So hold those three words up for just a moment in your brain, in your mind, and in your heart as you look at this text, as we look at the idea of conversion. And I'm gonna highlight these three words for you for just a moment. First of all, that first word, the word received. Our salvation is received and therefore given by God at a certain point in time. Peter is saying to all the saints who are reading this letter and to us 2,000 years ago, to all of you who have received the same kind of faith as ours. Now, I hope you know this today. Your faith is not something you have achieved. Your salvation is not achieved. It's not something you do. It's not something you earn on your own. Salvation can never be earned. You can never be good enough for a perfect God, can you? You can never be perfect enough for heaven. You can never alienate all the bad things out of your life enough for you not to be spoiled by sin and sin's nature in your life. 
You cannot achieve your salvation. You can't be religious enough to have salvation by that religion. But you can receive eternal life. That's what Peter's saying. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. And I think that next word is pretty important too. Our salvation is identical to the original disciples' faith. Peter is saying, all those of you who came after me, who have faith, it's the same kind of faith we had. Have you ever been guilty of saying, you know what, if I could live in the days of the disciples, I would be a far better follower of Christ, right? If I could have been there with Peter and James and John and, and all those disciples, if I could have watched Jesus walk on water, if I could have seen him raise Lazarus up from the dead, if I could have seen all those miracles, then I would have a greater faith. And yet here's the apostle Peter saying, no, you have the same kind of faith as we did. The same kind of faith that transformed our lives, that radically revolutionized our whole way of thinking, that caused us to follow Jesus Christ completely, even laying our lives down and dying for him, for his sake, for his testimony. You have that same kind of faith. The apostle Peter doesn't have anything on you. James and John don't have anything on you. You have the same thing they have, that is faith in Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And the third thing this line says to us is our salvation is founded on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You notice that line, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, completely separate from anything we can say or do. And that requires conversion. That requires a moment where we put our faith in Christ and take it off of everything else. Now, I've talked to so many people over the years that have come to faith in Jesus and, and often they say, well, I felt like I was in good shape with God, with the man upstairs because I was religious. And they had to convert from confidence in religion and put their faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfection of Jesus Christ. And others say, well, I was just a good kid growing up. And I just did everything my parents wanted me to do and I've always believed. And so since I always believe and I came from a Christian family, then, then that I know that my salvation is real. But the reality is there has to be a point in time when you convert from being a good kid to being in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I mean, my wife was almost a perfect child growing up. She only had to repent of chewing bubble gum in church one day. That's about it. <laughs> but for her to be saved, she had to put her faith in Jesus Christ instead of being good. And that's true of all of us today. So Peter's talking about that conversion moment where you have a moment of faith and you realize you must put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And it really becomes our storyline, our defining moment. And it's amazing how radically our lives are affected by the defining moment where we receive Christ and put our trust and faith in him. By the righteousness of Jesus, we're made right with God and forgiven. My own testimony, my own story is very memorable to me. I told you last week that I lost my hearing as a young boy about six years of age. And from that moment of that high t temperature, that high fever that I had, uh, I'd lost 80% of my hearing. Within a few months and years, I'd lost up to 95% of my hearing. So I am profoundly deaf. And my world is a, is a, is a world of silence. And within a year or two after that, I remember in the middle of the night, hearing my voice being called out loud, audibly, and I heard it clearly. Now keep in mind, my, my night is silent, my world is silent. By then I'd been fed with hearing aids and yet we took those off at night. So when I went to sleep at night without hearing aids, I heard nothing, nothing at all. 
That's still true, by the way. We have six children, and I've never been awakened in the middle of the night by a child <laughs> crying. And yet, at that moment in my life, I heard my name being called out. And it frightened me. Nobody was in the room. It was, it was very dark. And uh, I looked around, saw no one. And I was afraid enough uh, to just try to cover up and go back to sleep, so I did. Then I heard my name called a second time. It was clear, it was calm, and yet because it was so unusual to me, I, I was afraid. So the next morning, after barely getting to sleep, the sun came up a little later, we had breakfast around the family table, and I told my mom and dad what had happened during the night. And my mom and dad were so wise, so brilliant, they knew the Word of God so well. And they told me, look, let's read to you a story in the Old Testament, it turned out to be 1 Samuel chapter 3. Many of us know the story of 1 Samuel. And little Samuel, he was living in the house of Eli, the priest. And if you recall, Eli uh, was asleep and Samuel was asleep in separate places. And uh, Samuel heard his name called out in the night by the Lord. He didn't know who it was, so he ran to Eli. Eli said, son, I didn't call you. Go back to bed, go back to sleep. It happened a second time, then a third time. And then Samuel was told by Eli these words in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9. Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now, my mom and dad read that passage to me, and they said, Look, it's clear that God is doing something, saying something to you, because you don't otherwise hear anything like a voice calling your name at night. So if he calls you again, and if you begin to listen to him, then tell him just what Samuel was told to tell the Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We happened to be in a revival meeting in our church back in those days. I lived in a small town in Oklahoma, and uh, we had revival meetings that lasted all week long. Anybody ever been in a revival meeting that's one week long? I mean, every night, all week long. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, then on Sunday morning. It even sounds long when I describe it. It's that long. <laughs> but every night we heard messages usually related to salvation. All week long I heard messages about salvation. Now, frankly, I don't remember a great deal about what I heard, but I do remember that God had called my name, and my parents said, it seems to be that God is calling your name. And I came back to them at the end of that week and said, you know, I want to give my life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, I didn't know a whole lot, but I did have great parents that told me about the Word of God, and I did know that I had sin in my life. I did know that I needed to be forgiven. I did know that I needed a Savior, and I decided to put my faith and trust in Christ at about the age of seven or eight, and uh, at that time, I knew beyond doubt that I was a believer in Jesus Christ. And I look back and I go, you know, it's amazing what a brief moment can do in a young boy's life in terms of a defining moment that affects you for the rest of your life. Our conversations couldn't have lasted an hour. My moment of prayer and trust in Christ couldn't have been 30 minutes long. And yet it's defined my life. My faith in Christ has defined my life in various ways all those years later. Defining moments don't last long, but they have great impact over the long periods of our lives. A moment in time where you come to the point of realizing that you need a Savior. People ask me, how do you know you're ready to receive Christ? How do you know you're ready to put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I usually give these three answers. Number one, when you know the penalty of sin and you know that sin separates you from God, that's number one. 
Secondly, when you know you can't save yourself and that no religion can save you. And then number three, when you know that Jesus can save you and you put your faith and trust in what he did on the cross to forgive you and give you eternal life. When you know those things, when you're aware of those three things very clearly, you're left with a dilemma. And that dilemma is, do I trust Christ and receive this salvation or do I go on by myself on my own? But when you know those three things, you're at the place where you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Whether you're six years old or 60 years old, that can be your conversion moment where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, let me just tell you that. The faith that Peter talks about here is not just uh, fire insurance to keep from going to hell. It's not just trying to deal with sin because of guilt. It really is ultimately a call to know Christ and a call to follow Christ. Everything in this passage says that. Everything in the Gospels say that. All the statements we have about salvation are not about just a moment that comes and goes and that's it, but a moment that starts your real walk of faith in a very personal, life-transforming way with Jesus Christ. It's a call to know him and follow him that can take place at a single moment in time. Now, I just want to ask you a few questions. It's part of your homework assignment. It can be done in this room, but it can also be done over the course of the next few days. Have you had that defining moment? Has there been a moment that you look back to in your life where you realized all of a sudden you changed from trusting whatever else it was and you began to trust Jesus Christ alone? Where you received the gift of eternal life and forgiveness. Just like Peter talked about, a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you know where you were? What do you remember about that? Now let me be very clear about this. You do not have to have heard Jesus personally audibly to be saved. But I think the significance of that on me was that I was a deaf boy. I was a boy that didn't hear anything. And God allowed me to hear his voice audibly. I believe that with all my heart. I remember that with clarity. But he doesn't call all people audibly, but he does call all people to salvation. And he calls you to salvation. Somebody said one time, God did not speak to me audibly, but it was louder than that. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? He didn't say it out loud, but you knew he was talking to you. You knew he was convicting you. You knew he was drawing you. You knew he wanted you to respond to him conversion. When did it happen? Can you describe it? Did you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ at that moment? So Peter is talking about a defining moment that begins with conversion. Then we look at the second word, contribution. If you look in verses 5, 6, and 7, you see these words. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And then he goes through the list of these incredible qualities. Excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. And that two of those words, applying and supplying, are action words. So look at those action words with me for just a moment. He says, for this very reason, for the very reason that you have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of Jesus, because of that, I'm asking you to apply and supply to that. The word means to contribute or to furnish. And it's basically active faith. It doesn't mean that we secure our salvation. You can't secure our, our salvation. It's secured in the righteousness of Jesus. It's secured in the finished work of the cross. 
But we are called to cultivate our faith, to contribute to our faith. We're called to construct on our faith, on the foundation of our faith. And my wife is a, a phenomenal home interior designer. That's not her profession. That's just what she asked me to help her do at every house we've ever lived in. We move in a home and she'll say, I like this wall a different color. Let's do that. And I think we ought to add into this room. I think we ought to add something to the porch. We always move in a home and she's always got a project planned for me. And, and I, mean, I mean, I do a lot of projects. I remember one house that we bought, we added three bedrooms and two bathrooms in seven years. I was tired at the end of that seven years. <laughs> but that's just what she does. She moves into the house and she says, let's build on this. Let's add to this. Let's make this better. Let's make this fit our family. And so that's what we do. There's a very similar concept going on here in 2 Peter chapter 1 where we're told that we're given the house of faith. We're placed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But what we ought to do is build on it. And let me make it clear. We do not contribute to our salvation. Pause. We do not contribute to our salvation. You cannot make your salvation happen. Only Jesus is big enough to do that, trust me. Only he is perfect enough to die on the cross in your place. Only by his blood can you gain salvation, can salvation be secured for you. But we do contribute to our growth. We build on the foundation of our faith. We add, we supply, just what these words say right here. We contribute and furnish to the foundation of our faith. Some people move into the house of faith that Jesus built for them and they keep it responsibly. They live faith out from day one and they do everything they can to be strong and vibrant in faith. But others move into that house and take it for granted. They become lazy or negligent to the house and while still standing, it's still neglected. And they don't appreciate the house or the price that was paid for it. They don't appreciate and understand the value of their faith. But what you do on the basis of your faith is extremely important. What you do with your faith brings a quality of life and faith that far exceeds any other kind of life possible. Now, Peter's going to delve into this. He's going to show you two options that happen with those who have received the same kind of faith as he did. And I want you to see what these words are that he gives us. First of all, he says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Now, I love that line. If I want to walk in confidence and boldness and growth, then I need to make sure that these qualities that were named in the previous verses, I need to make sure they're in my life, that I'm pursuing them, that I'm building them in my life because I'm building them on the foundation of my faith in Jesus Christ. So where do you learn these qualities? These are great qualities. Where do these come from? We don't find moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness uh, and all these qualities. We don't find them in the world. We don't find them in movies. Culture doesn't teach us these things. They're not found in the media. So where do we find these? Where do we read about them? Where do we see examples of them? Well, if you think for just a moment, you'll see that we find these qualities in a word-based community of faith. We find them in the church. We find them in a church that relies upon the word of God, that teaches the word of God, in a church that has other disciples who are following Jesus and building on the faith that he gave them, just like Peter had and just like the disciples have. When you see others following Christ, 
And when you walk consistently with them, you find the inspiration, you find the encouragement, and you begin to want to add them to your own life and add to that the internal force of the Holy Spirit inside of you, drawing you to become more and more like Jesus Christ, and you are on your path to building on the house of faith you were given by Jesus. That's what Peter is saying. If these qualities are in your life and increasing, you will be neither useless nor unfruitful. Now, I want to be neither useless nor unfruitful. You want to be neither useless nor unfruitful. Uh, The opposite of that, of course, is being useful and fruitful. Say those two words with me. Useful, fruitful. Say it one more time. Useful and fruitful. That's really God's desire for us. His, His goal for us is to be useful and fruitful for him in the kingdom. So this is an incredible picture of what it ought to be like. The book of Jude has a great message in verses 20 and 21 that speaks so loudly to this. It says, but you building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, keep building on that faith. Keep adding to it. Keep making it all it can be and you'll be neither useless nor unfruitful. Then there's the other approach. Peter gives that first option, door number one. And then the second option, door number two, I fear most of us choose that door rather than the first one. And what does he say about that door? Verse nine, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Look at those words again. Blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. One of my favorite preachers of all time, a guy named Ron Dunn, preached a message uh, on that text, and the title of the message was A Nearsighted Blind Man with Amnesia. <laughs> now, if you look at the verse, you'll see why he come, comes to that conclusion. But there are people today that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ at some point in the past, but they live like a nearsighted blind man with amnesia. They don't see what God is doing. They can't remember all he has done and all he desires to do. And they're just making it kind of through life, but they don't have any confidence. They don't have any boldness. In fact, they have a great deal of doubt because they forget what happened earlier on in their lives. I was like that. I was like that. I remember as a young boy seeing my faith work in a powerful way. I remember growing uh, in the scriptures, I had, a, as I said, great parents, and I was involved deeply in the church, so I learned scripture, memorized scripture. Uh, I really began to grow. I, I remember sharing the gospel with a friend of mine at the age of 10 and, and helping lead him to Christ with a Gideon Bible in my back pocket after we played football one day. I dreamed about that kind of thing. I prayed for that kind of thing. So I remember a time of vibrant growth, seasons of growth in my life. I know my, my faith was very, very real. But about the age of 13 or so, we moved to a different community, and all of a sudden, I began to take a different direction in life. I began to decide for myself that I was going to live life my way, and I wanted to participate in the things I wanted to do, and I didn't want to follow Christ in the same way I had before. And as time went on, I began to move further and further away from what God had called me to. In fact, I even got to the place where I couldn't really remember much of that early spiritual life. I didn't remember praying. I didn't remember having answers to prayer. I didn't remember trying to lead people to Jesus. I didn't remember having joy and confidence in my faith. I was like a nearsighted blind man 
with amnesia, far, far from where I needed to be. It was as though I wanted to have an outward respectability of faith. I mean, I, I still came to church. My dad was the pastor. I had to come. <laughs> and I wanted to have an air of respectability, but after church, man, I did what I wanted to do. There was something in my life that kept me from going too far. I remember some of my friends were doing crazy things. I mean, crazy things. And there was this invisible line I would never cross. And they used to mock me a little bit. And they used to say, you're just afraid to go do this or go do that. And uh, I didn't know what to say to them. But later on, I looked back and I thought, that's just the fear of God. I just had a fear of God in my life. And I just didn't want to cross those invisible lines because to me, that was way too far. And I just didn't want to go that far. I just wanted to go this far, which was hypocritical, which was very carnal, embarrassingly disobedient to God. And there was a period of time where that's just where I was. And that's why this passage describes my life so clearly. I remember one day someone said to me in, in sarcasm, they said, hey, John, when you grow up, are you going to be a pastor like your dad? Now, he said that to me during a time when I was at my worst compromise. And of course, I responded by saying, I will never be a preacher as long as I live. I promise you that'll never happen. And I had deep respect for my father, deep respect for his faith, but it wasn't for me. I learned a lot of things uh, during that period of time, one of them being never say never because God will often bring that back around to you. But that's where I was. All kinds of weird things happen to those of us who have given our lives to Jesus but who are drifting and who are moving away. I can say this. I can say beyond doubt if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you will not be happy living a life of disobedience. You'll be miserable. How do I know that? Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. He never gives up on you. He never stops convicting you. And while that voice may be a little bit more silent as time goes on, he may shout a little less loud at some point, you will recognize that you are out of God's will and that's a big deal to you. So I was like a blind, nearsighted man with amnesia during those years of my life. I was like that spiritually. But God was pursuing me. Don't you just love the fact that God, our Father, pursues us? I just love that. He was pursuing me. And he never would let me forget that he loved me, that he had a plan for my life. And ultimately, he brought me to a place of abject misery and fear and concern where I said, I don't care about all those other things. I just want to know, am I right with you, God? Am I right with you? And I remember going out to a wheat field that belonged to a friend of mine all by myself, laying in that wheat field as the sun was going down and saying, God, I cannot imagine being any more miserable, and yet I've done everything I want to do. And I said, I'm, I'm not even sure if I really ever gave my life to you. And if I haven't, I'm giving it to you today. But from this day forward, I belong to you. And I waited. I don't know if I was expecting God to speak to me. I didn't know if, if God was going to, I don't know, send angels in the sky. But I just laid in that field looking up, saying that to God over and over. And the only thing I remember about those moments were just the clear impression of his love for me. The undeniable fact that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. And that cross became a very important image to me from that day forward. And I knew that I'd gotten back with God, that I'd become right with God at that moment. Some of us need to be in that place where we say, God, I don't remember if 
what I had was real before. And if I've never given myself to you, I'm gonna give it to you today. Please forgive me. Please make me yours. You are my Lord from this day forward. Those were the exact words I pray. And again, God did not speak to me audibly, but he helped me know of his love and that the cross was for purposes that would allow me to be right with him. And I never looked back. From that moment forward, I never looked back. There was a song going on on the radio back during those times, uh, and it was called, I Can See Clearly Now, The Rain Is Gone. Uh, Johnny Nash sang that song, a few others did. And, and I wasn't really into Christian music too much at that point, so I just listened to the radio, right? But that song was being sung a lot, and I thought, man, that describes so much what has just happened. I can now see how real my faith was as a young boy and all that God had done in my life when before my sin had obscured it all. The dark clouds of sin and disobedience and rebellion had obscured all the reality of the faith that I had and that he was real to me. I just wasn't building on the house he gave me. Now my experience says the same thing this verse does. If you're building on your salvation, you grow and have vibrant faith, but if you don't build... If these qualities are not yours and increasing, you'll be blind to what happened. You won't see what God was doing. You may even forget and doubt the reality of your faith at any point in the path. So I want to ask you this question. Part of your homework assignment. Are you building on your faith? Are you adding to it? Are you contributing? Are you cultivating the house of faith that God may have given you as a child or as a younger person or in previous time? Now, here's the third word. The third word is confidence. Say the word confidence with me. Confidence. We want to walk in confidence. We want to be bold and confident in our faith. And this is where Peter is taking us. It says in verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and his choosing of you. That's the word that means confident. Be confident in what you have. Make sure it's valid. Make sure it's guaranteed and unwavering. Make sure your salvation is secure. Now, you see the first word of that verse 10? It's the word therefore. The therefore in this verse, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and his choosing you. It's there because it points back to the whole context of where we've been. The faith of the same kind that we've received as the disciples had by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, adding to it so that Jesus' qualities are increasing and present in your life. You're going to have confidence when you do that. Peter is basically saying to all who come after him, make sure your conversion is real. Make sure your construction is ongoing. And when you do that, you build great confidence in his calling in your life. And when you see God at work, it's undeniable that his presence is in you. When you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting you and leading you, you know that's real. That's not just feeling guilty for something. That is the Holy Spirit directing you. When you see your faith work, you, you have all kinds of confidence in your personal relationship with him. It helps you weather temptations. It helps you get through the trials. It prepares you for heaven. Do you notice what it says in verse 11 and 12? As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Earlier today in an earlier service, uh, we were singing songs 
that were older songs about the faith. One of them is Amazing Grace. And one of the lines of Amazing Grace, the very last stanza is, when we've been there 10,000 years. I'm on the front row here like preachers do whenever the song service is happening and the choir is up here. And, uh, and there's a lady in the choir. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. All of our choir is, is very vibrant. They're very uh, expressive. But there was one lady that I thought was getting raptured when she was singing when we've been there 10,000 years. It was so real. It was so obvious that that's her only hope. It was so obvious that actually says something about it. And I'm, I may have embarrassed her by saying that, but it was so real it could not go without observation. Here's a woman that has such confidence in her faith that she was already there. I mean, she's not there yet, but she was already there in her mind and her heart. Don't get me wrong, she did not die. Nobody died in the first service, okay? <laughs> but she's almost there. It's so real, it's so powerful. That's what's being described right here. The abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want that confidence. That's why you make sure your conversion is real. Make sure your construction, your contribution is ongoing because you want the kind of confidence that just let you live that way, anticipating Jesus Christ's return. Since the age of 18, I can look back and see all the defining moments of my life, all the defining moments of faith, where God would direct me, where he would answer prayer, where he would put people in my life. I believe those kinds of things were always there, even when I was running from God. I just didn't see them. I didn't acknowledge them. I didn't recognize them. I wasn't aware of what God was doing. I was a nearsighted blind man with amnesia. But since that date, well, I said, Lord, if I'm not yours, I, I'm making myself yours right now. If I've never been yours, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to make sure I surrender completely. I've, I've seen all these different ways that God has worked in my life. And I began to grow in confidence. I began to have no doubts. The Word of God began to be alive to me. The Holy Spirit began to be a friend to me. Well, I knew he was speaking to me, knew he was leading me. And I could even go back and see what God had done during those years that I was running from him later on. And it's not just hindsight, it's 2020. It's not just that. It's that relationship with him lets me see. John, I placed this person in your life. You just didn't, you didn't open up to him. I put this message in front of you, but you didn't acknowledge it. I put this line in the sand, and you just weren't aware that it was the fear of God that I was placing in your life. And I look back, I see how much he preserved me, how much he rescued me and still rescues me. Is your conversion real? Are you contributing to the household of faith? Do you have confidence and lack doubt in your salvation? You see, when your conversion to Christ is real and your contribution to your faith is ongoing, your confidence is unshakable. It's as real as life gets. It's real faith. And it's real hope and it's real life. Has this happened to you? Have you grown in your confidence and faith? Is your faith real and active and growing and bold? Now, if I could put this in my hands and offer this to you, then I'd do that today. But something better than this has happened. God has offered this to you today. The message is ongoing, it's clear. 
the offer is standing? Do you want the conversion? Do you want to be contributing? Do you want to have confidence? In just a few moments, we're going to close our service. And at the end of our service, we'll do what we do every week. We have our decision stations that are available. And as you walk out in just a few moments, you'll see those decision stations. And I, I would encourage you to stop. There are people in this room today that needed to hear what was said. They need to see this passage. They need to see what salvation looks like, even when it's not seemingly going well, that that faith, that real life of Christ inside of you is still there if you've ever given your life to him. And you also need to be aware that if you've never given your life to him, never had that defining moment of placing your faith and trust in him, and by the righteousness of Jesus Christ received salvation, this is the day that you can do that. This is the moment you can do that. And we have people waiting that will talk with you about that. And I can't wait to find out if you stopped and if you had that conversation and if you had that moment of prayer. See, what happened to me was a very short period of time as a seven or eight-year-old boy, and that faith is still real in my life and will be until Christ comes back and consummates that fully. In a brief period of time, that salvation could be real to you. I also invite you, if you're a guest, to come to our guest reception center. I'd love to meet with you. It's just outside the center exit doors across the hallway. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, today the many people in this room with a variety of kinds of experiences in life, variety of upbringing, different messages they've heard throughout their lives, Father, today we all come together to this one text where Peter writes about faith and the defining moments of faith. And Lord, you know what my prayer is. My prayer is that every person in this room will experience conversion to Jesus Christ. And that if that hasn't happened with them yet, that it will happen today. Lord, I beg you, I plead with you that you would bring them to the place where they would be courageous enough to stop and have the conversation and not walk around with doubt and not walk around wondering what if. And Father, those that have put their faith and trust in you, but maybe have, have veered, have wandered, I ask you, Lord, to show them the value of contributing to their faith, not to secure their salvation, but to add to it, to build on it. And Father, my ultimate prayer for all of us in this room is to have confidence in the faith in Jesus Christ that you've given us. So Lord, today, move in our hearts while we may conclude this service, the ongoing work of your Holy Spirit is expected and asked for. And Father, I pray that we'll realize that and experience it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.